Welcome to V'ger, please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Oh, I uh, discovered another uh, Voyager podcast this week, Peter. Dude, I saw that. That was um, reach out through uh, Facebook mail, right? Uh, just randomly, someone on Reddit suggested this Voyager review podcast called Delta Flyer. I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's another one out there. I'm always, like, I'm at least always mildly interested to see how other people do this. Yeah. Right? You know, you just kind of want to get a sense of where other people come from on the show and, and uh, you know, what, what kind of effort people are putting in. And I saw that they were a little behind where we were. They do episodes a little less frequently, but they started almost the exact same time we did. January of last year and uh, uh, they I, I I called them the more NPR version of our format uh, they uh, they try and keep it safe for work safe for the kids well, we don't do that at all we oh, don't, fuck no. don't do that <laughs> and uh, but they, they have a lot of the same complaints uh, a couple of episodes listen to listen to their episode about uh, Death Wish which was uh, uh, Winnie the Q for us I like I, I I saw that on the list and it jumped out as a very clever title, uh, "Qside Watch." Yeah, that's yeah. what drew me drew me in too. And then uh, I also listened to their uh, their take on what the episode we called "New Jack Neelix." Mm-hmm. I know for a fact you would enjoy the show because of some of the uh, nuanced uh, nerdy things that they like to focus on, like your fixation with replicator energy. It's a big deal. It's, all right, it's 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 uh. They're in that they're in the they're oxygenating that womb space, uh, if you will. And it was a good listen. I enjoyed it. So if for whatever reason you get tired of the hot take express, us uh, get a little saucy and you want to still get your Voyager fix. Uh, strong listen. I intend to listen to more of their backlog. So you know what? And I'll give them a listen to uh, recently. My podcast queue has become very full. But uh, I'm always afraid listening or thinking about listening to other Star Trek podcasts because I don't want other people's stuff to influence what we're doing. I want us to be fresh. And that was, you know, my big fear when I did see a couple of the other Voyagers out there. But if they're behind us, uh, I'll give a listen to um, Eye of the Needle because I think that's really kind of our gold standard of what we thought Amazing Trek could be and where I got discouraged by a few of the other Voyager podcasts that I think really missed what that episode was laying down, but a uh, real quick other shout out. Uh, there's a podcast at the adventure zone. Are you familiar with that? No, it's a D and D party group, but they seem like they really have their shit together and they're running this uh, one plot line called amnesty. And it's really got me sold on this um, monster of the week uh, RPG system. And it's, it's just called monster. Week. I actually went after work today and I bought the book Huh. Because it seems that cool. N- normally, like I hung up my tabletop spurs a long time ago, but I'm really feeling the vibe on that thing. So check it out, and maybe it's something we could talk about a little bit more. But busy week for Star Trek, man. Um, did you catch Orville episode two? I have not yet cracked uh, any of the new Orville. Uh, I, you know, can't bring myself to actually go in front of my television, watch something at a specific time, and have to suffer through commercials. So uh, and I don't have Hulu, so yeah. I I caught up on season one of Orville after it was over. And just, yeah, and just binge it all, and was I enjoy that experience, and I'm probably gonna wait and do that again. To be honest with you, so that episode well, two that was some very bold television, and maybe when you get caught up, we can we can talk about that a little bit. But also, did you see the Picard series news? Yeah, the I mean, it was kind of some of the stuff they've already suggested that. It's going to come from a, you know, a a dramatically different place, but it is confirming they're following the continuity of what happened in the prime timeline, which is, well, not in the Kelvin timeline, but that that Spock attempting to uh, prevent the supernova from happening, which puts old Spock in the Kelvin universe happens. That's canon. And this TV show will pick up after the collapse of the Romulan Empire as a consequence, which is some pretty deep cuts. Yeah. When you're talking like continuity. Darius, uh, he did that, that Trek survey and, you know, he had it up on our V'ger please trauma support group. Um, one of the questions he had on there was who's your favorite, uh, antagonist. And I think I went with the Romulans. They've always had a special place for me. 
I think them embracing the supernova destruction of Romulus was going to be a pretty bold choice. But doesn't that create like a time paradox now? Because if Romulus is destroyed, then that means that uh, Spock went back in time along with, what was that guy's name? Nemo? Nemus? Nero? Nero. Which means that the Kelvin is destroyed and Starfleet gets like supercharged to the point where, you know, the Enterprise A is bigger than the D and all that alternate. The Kelvin timeline is a parallel universe, not a reversion of the prime universe. I think they actually even established that in dialogue in the first of the uh, the Kelvin movies. Hmm. So they... Uh, what happened in the Prime Universe remains unchanged. All that happens is that Spock is gone, and, you know, that's that. Well, I can live with that. Again, it'll be a bold choice, and uh, I'm really trying to stay away from the news, and it's my damn Google News feed, like, cramming all the Star Trek shit it possibly can into there. So it got you know, spoiled more or less for me, but I think it's encouraging. I think it'll be fun. Well, uh, speaking of... Uh, I couldn't segue. I tried to segue like what you just said into something about this episode. I could not get there. You what cannot we watch, apply Peter? the words fun in this episode together. No. So let's Interesting. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> no. Interesting in that season three, episode seven, Sacred Ground. Uh, as the cult leader of the Frakes Friendship Network, you do uh, you do know the history on this guy, right? Well, I definitely know that the director on this one is uh, none other than Robert Duncan McNeil, better known to us as Bad Boy Tom. <laughs> it's been a while since we called him that. Uh, it was supposed to be Frakes, and he had to back out of the engagement because he got picked up to direct First Contact instead during this. So they tapped uh, McNeil while he was at a Star Trek convention in Cleveland. That is interesting. Uh, I have to say uh, he did a decent job. Uh, considering I think this was maybe his first time in the director's chair ever. And it doesn't surprise me that this was going to be a Frakes vehicle. It would have been his kind of episode. Uh, We don't see the inventiveness that Frakes uh, brings to to his Trek episodes as a consequence of it being someone new. But there's still, I think, some stuff going on here. This is a good Star Trek episode eventually. Like it, it kind of goes to a real heady place and tries to tell uh, an interesting story. And I will say that unlike so many other Voyager episodes that we subject ourselves to, this one doesn't fall apart at the end. It actually follows through nicely. I have to say I enjoyed it. Well, I'll save my judgments until we have our conversation. All right. Okay. So, I've, I've been on up- the plus side lately for this show. You know, I've I've been carrying the water after weeks and weeks of you slogging through episodes of season two, trying to convince me it wasn't as fucking turgid as it really was. Now the shoe's on the other foot. I'm kind of liking this. Well, it's a shitty shoe you're walking in, and I don't envy you. Voyager starts off with a classic Janeway mistake, and it is letting your crew beam down to a planet for shore leave in a place where you do not know the rules and the aliens do not care to tell you the rules in advance. So, um, you know, you're just waiting to step on that landmine. Okay, so what happens is you've got Bolana and Harry and Snarf Snarf and Space Elf on the surface Evidently having a little bit of a vacay uh, while while going to this planet's version of the Sistine Chapel, which is a Star Trek cave. A it standard is the Star, Star Trek, Trek cave. cave. We, I don't think we've seen the Star Trek cave, what, since uh, Seska was skulking about with the caves? No, we've seen it since then. Yeah, we saw it actually. Frank's episode, remember, with the dino babies? Mm, I think we've seen it since then, too. But yeah, this, this is a staple Trek cave. And uh, this week... Yeah, it's it's dressed up with a couple religious artifacts here and there. We've got some monks wearing toilet paper traipsing about. And we are being given a tour of Star Trek Cave by none other than the leader of the entire planet, who has taken time out of his busy schedule to <laughs> uh, take some junior bridge crew members around uh, and do some sightseeing. And did you recognize who the president of the planet is? I did not. Please tell me. 
This is a good one, man. And I couldn't put it together until right before we started filming and, and it finally dawned on me. He looks completely different because he doesn't have that little ginger afro anymore. It was his voice. And the president of the planet is none other than the brother of Lon Suter and Devani Rall in the male Betazoid Hall of Shame, Tam Elbrum. No way. Yeah, dude, that's Tam Elbrum from uh, the Tin Man episode of TNG. Yes, or, or as, or as uh, Patrick Stewart liked to say in that episode, Tin Man. I always thought his pronunciation of those Tin words. Were... Man, it was a very Christopher Walken episode for him. But yeah, he was like the, the super duper empath that was just off the charts prodigy. Um, that was an old friend of Troy's and the alien space organic spacecraft on the edge of the neutral zone. There was a competition with none other than the Romulans. I, mean, I keep saying none other with the Romulans who, you know, Tam then condemned them all to a fiery death before flying off, never to be seen from again. But yeah, it's Tam. He's got different hair. He's a little older, obviously, uh, but <clears throat> he's pulling presidential duty. I, I do know that this actor shows up in actually a future episode of a different show. And believe it or not, this is funny. Uh, he plays a key role in what should have been the se- series finale of Enterprise as a human politician. Uh, so he like, gets his chops, man. Like I, I like when I, you know, we get the opportunity to see some actors who get a solid tour of Trek in and you know, for his part, I think it was a good departure from the Tam role. He's pretty stable. He's very warm throughout the episode and, and does a good job, but does not do a good job as tour guide. No. And despite the president of the planet giving a personal tour to a bunch of junior officers from strange space people, for some reason, for and no explanation is given, uh, one of the smartest and most sensible people on the ship, all right, Kess, decides Let to that wander sink off. In. Let that sink in, what Joe said, because Joe's talking the truth. Yes, I am talking the truth. I think we can establish, in fact, that Kess is consistently shown to be the smartest and most reasonable person on Voyager. Yeah. And she decides, on her own, with her filthy space cat boyfriend, to just walk around the Sistine Chapel of this planet and she finds something that is glowing, that is evidently some sort of gateway, and is obviously a gateway to hell, right? Like, this <laughs> looks like a hell gate for sure. And she says, after Neelix says, don't touch it, that seems like a bad <laughs> idea. The space cat is going ahead and giving you the warning sign. Like, don't do it! Like, it's glowing, it's white, it looks dangerous as fuck. Don't touch it, right? The space cat knows this is a bad idea. Clearly you think that Kess, who's obviously smarter, would know not to. But instead she just flat out just sticks her face right into space hell, right into the portal, and wouldn't you know it, gets zapped for her trouble, and is suddenly does that perfect Star Trek roll onto the ground without actually hurting herself, in the stage roll. And is in need of immediate medical care. Neelix is like, now I've led a crewman or two to death by a sandworm monster. So I know a bad, a bad cave entrance <laughs> when I see one. And God sweetie, damn it, I left Hogan to die. I left him to die in front of a bunch of bones of people who died standing in that same spot before. I understand traps now. And this is a trap. I really I, I did enjoy the fact that it was someone wandering off. That is the catalyst for this entire episode and that it was not Neelix and it was under Neelix's protest that that humor was not lost to me. I can go <laughs> ahead and forgive Kess for her transgression here because she is a very sensitive empath, as we have seen or psychic. You know, she is in tune with the force and this uh, this Dagobah cave. I, I you know, her following a psychic bread trail breadcrumb trail to to danger or to peril uh i understand but yeah so she wanders off into this thing it looks like the stargate you know all it's missing is like chevrons and 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 some military dudes uh, the thing glows like it's gonna teleport her off to egypt but instead like you said it slaps her in the face down she goes balan and harry come running over 
They've got uh, Tam Elberman toe. And uh, Tora starts getting her back up about like, you're going to do this and you're going to do that or else. And it's the first time you've ever seen Voyager try to assert or Voyager crew try to assert any sort of authority over a local population. It's like, this is totally your fault. This is totally Janeway's fault yeah. for allowing another fucking unsupervised, uh, uh, you know, vacation down. Every time there's some sort of a shore leave situation, like how many episodes ago was it where Kim got like gang banged in prison because of uh, zany local politics? Like the fact he even had the audacity to set foot on this planet he he doesn't learn this uh this alternate reality clone Kim we've got he's got a screw loose this guy's looking for trouble and unfortunately this time it found Kess instead it it it's it's not just Bolana and Harry who start like acting like you know the alien planet president is gonna have to like snap too or or he's totally in trouble uh Jane Janeway takes a similar tactic when she talks to him later it's like hey listen. I know that I like invited all of you strange space people out of the goodness of my heart to have a little quick vacation at our expense while I personally give you tours of our planet. And then one of your, your strange hobos on your ship that isn't even a crew member decided to stick her, stick her face in our most holy artifact. And then, you know, got smacked around by a supernatural force beyond all of our understanding. But what part of this shit is any of my fucking fault? Like, hey it's like uh it's like being brought to the zoo and and then someone from another planet like jumps in the pit with the bear and they're like oh my god our alien got mauled by the bear this is totally your fault it's like no it isn't there was a fence there you know we go up to the ship uh tam elberman video conference is like look we've got a real strong delineation between church and state I'm the highest office of state, but I have no authority. No, Mr. President, you you go and you tell the Pope what to do. I'm a I'm a space captain from an alien world. Do as I say. Break all your rules. I'm on the ship of death. Didn't you read next door? We're bad news. (laughs) She takes this uh, the stance of, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. He's like, look, I can't do any of that in the council. Nobody is willing to give you any sign. This is the crux of the whole episode is. There's something medically wrong with Kess. They cannot fix Kess unless they know what actually caused the problem. They can't get clear scans because this temple's real deep in the rock. And uh, nobody wants to seem to cooperate at all with Voyager based on the fact that she's in a coma and dying. The premise of how they get to the main conflict is dumb. It involves this circumstance that i kind of want to put a name to and it's the kind of insane idiocy that is sometimes necessary at least that the writers think is sometimes necessary uh, for the characters to exhibit in order to make the plot work and we've seen this a lot already this season we saw it uh when we had everything that went on with janeway saying let's just make a run through all of this hostile alien space so that we can, we can shave some time off our journey. Uh, we saw this when they fucked up their three foot putt home because they allowed the Ferengis to run hot and game on them, despite the fact they didn't have to interact with them at all. Um, we even saw this like last week when Chicote seemed willingly ignorant to the idea that Bolana was being fucked with by psychic aliens until it was made really, really, really unmistakably clear to his face. Yeah, someone showed him the script. <laughs> yeah, I, it's over and over again. The Voyager crew is almost unrealistically stupid. And we have to find a way to define this phenomenon. Do you have an idea? It's Delta Quadrant behavior. So I want to say something like they got a bad case of the DQs or the the dick they're getting real dicky with it maybe like an abbreviated <laughs> dicky thing to do i i like the space yips <laughs> was uh something that one of our fans came up with when i asked our what's Facebook a yip? group is that a furry thing no no that is i i know i i'm Don't ashamed that it. i know what this but that's uh that's a yif peter and you knew that that was a yif it's and i wouldn't acknowledge why you that, but here you are <laughs> 
Uh, you got any My Little Pony quips for this, too? Hey, listen, you spend enough time on the internet, you learn things that you may not want to learn, okay? Uh, so when I see it mostly in baseball. So when a pitcher is uh, throwing wildly and making bad uh, mistakes because they're nervous, they have a case of the yips. Uh, so, you know, it's like, you know, they're, they're into a new situation to deal with a new alien race. They make a stupid decision. They have the space yips. We can go with that as a temporary. I think we might be able to grow into something a little bit better. But yeah, so, you know, now they've got this situation that once again, someone's life is in peril and it's going to take a daring prison break to to save her from this. The church doesn't want to cooperate at all. And Janeway sent off Neelix earlier in the episode to go do some research and see what he can come back with. And he has the magic story of, you know, old king so-and-so whose son wandered into the cave, did the same thing. And he was able to petition the religious council to go through their active spiritual passage uh, so he could talk to the spirits of the Dagobah cave and get them to spare his son's life. Voyager crew's like, well, you know, are there really spirits here? And I think that's a strong conversation back into at what point can in Star Trek as a place, do you draw the line between a science thing and the supernatural. And I don't know if we've had this as an on-air conversation. I think it's something we really need to examine during the mess hall, but like the, the real, the real talk about God or supernatural creatures or, you know, gods or whatever. Um, But they kind of broach it a little bit here. You know, is it a legit spiritual thing? Is this just a natural phenomenon? Is it another alien race chilling out in altered plane of reality, whatever, there's something biologically wrong at this point with Kess. We need to fix it. We need more data to do it. And if we go through this process, we should be able to bring back the raw scientific data to formulate a cure to save her. I, Where this episode comes together for me in a way that it becomes quite enjoyable uh, is after the kind of absurd setup. We get into a meat of an episode where I think they very delicately and interestingly tackle the dichotomy that you're referencing. And that is how the line between those two can be blurred and that something having a scientific explanation may not be the entire explanation. And to this episode's uh, tremendous credit, this is one of the few examples I feel like I can point to in this show so far where the actor's performances are allowed to show you that rather than the dialogue being forced to tell you that, particularly as they get to the end. I'll skip ahead to the end here real quick. I did not like this episode really at all. Uh, And it is through no fault of any actors. I think like you just said, everybody puts in a really strong performance, especially Kate Mulgrew. I think she starts showing the fatigue and the confusion and everything else towards the end, like a real champ. What about this? Did you not like Let's have this conversation towards him because I, I, I want to move through all the different pieces before we tackle it as a whole. But I am just acknowledging at this point that I I do think that there are a lot of very strong performances out of these guys. A weird part of this episode for me was Chakotay's role in all of it. A yes. lot of attention has been put on Chakotay as the spiritual one, right? Quote unquote, the spiritual guy from the doubter to the reluctant um, uh, inheritor of his father's mantle to really embracing what was there, even, you know, under the, the truth that their spirituality is just the result of tampering by aliens or whatever. But I think this would have been a great episode to tag him in and have him go through the same kind of stuff that Janeway does. Janeway was an awkward choice because she, I've always respected her for her grounded scientist approach. I see what that's why it made her an attractive choice for the, the spiritual traveler. Um, and even if they didn't pick Chakotay as the person to kind of take the brunt of this, casting him in the role of the doubter really felt off. You see, that's exactly what I liked about it. And I know that this is not necessarily something we'll talk about until later, but I think it's worth getting into now. Sure. Broad strokes here. Uh, Janeway ends up going through what you would call a education on a test of faith. 
and it is implied by the episode that the spiritual beings that are overseeing this religion are on some level real and are manipulating the events to teach that lesson to Janeway. Okay. Chakotay, yes, he's portrayed in a lot of ways as the quote unquote spiritual one, but let's remember as terrible as tattoo is, right? It did establish one important fact about Chakotay's backstory. That's now resolved. His belief is not spiritual. It's scientific. There were aliens from another planet who are responsible for everything that he believes in. His belief requires no test of faith. It is real. It's something he has met. It is something that he can verifiably understand from a scientific perspective. Therefore, he is not really a quote-unquote spiritual one. He even cops to it in this episode when he starts talking about conversation he had with his mother about the science behind the whole you know space peyote mission quest shit that they go on. Janeway is taking a leap of faith that Chakotay never has taken on this show. And in many uh, ways demonstrates the, the lack of depth to Chakotay's quote-unquote spiritualism. I disagree. Yes, they do quantify, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt that the sky people are real and all that other stuff. I think that the show does not is not self-aware of that because of the episodic bodily nature of it and their their reluctance to acknowledge past events so i think as a broad character chakotay is a spiritual person ignorant of the fact that his gods are really just alien astronauts you see you're, um, you're basically saying i'm giving the show's writers too much credit like that the nuance that i thought that i'm that i think that i'm picking up on that really Chakotay being a doubter is rational from his character's perspective is not at all what they intended. Yeah, it's a Lisa Klink thing, who who was one of the writers on this. Um, I did like his little throwaway bit in there about his mom explaining the science behind the hand vibrator as a turnoff to him. And I think that still fits in the overall Chakotay picture, because, again, as a younger kid, he was not into all that. But I think his, you know, continued practice of Akuchimoya, I'm going to try and contact my father's ghost to resolve my bastard son dilemma. Um, you know, it reinforces that he's got this spiritual thing. All the scenes that take place on this debate, though, it's it's Tuvok, it's Janeway, and it's Chakotay. And I think that Tuvok would have been the better choice for the, the doubting Thomas on this with Chakotay more of the cheerleader of you know let Catherine do this she needs it but it's it's just real it's a swiss cheesy flow to it right there's these big holes there's uh chakotay acknowledging the fact that janeway doesn't believe in any of this spiritual stuff even though right there in the first um season the first couple episodes she was like really excited about meeting her spiritual animal and yeah, joining yeah, she, she was excited about meeting the the spirit guide under that the way, the very way we kind of insulted the way that she approached it, which was as like a tourist of a like, oh, I wish to observe your printed primitive. Uh, I think that system. was just hammy acting though. Like, I mean, yeah, it was good jokes for us, but I think realistically, isn't that paying off right here though? I mean, yeah, it's tempting to not give the writers the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I mean, I looked at the writer here, Lisa Klink. She actually has written some of the better episodes of the show that we've watched like yeah. resistance. And and I want to give her credit that maybe she did look at the continuity of Janeway kind of viewing these things academically. And therefore, you know, the whole episode leans into that for the first two acts. But go back, she, go back to her spiritual quest. I mean, she almost did find her spiritual almost. She does have previous interactions with spirituality where she, um, you know, has seen some validity to it. But is she, is she a believer? That's not it. Is she, what we have seen is her like experiencing these things, but she never expresses anything regarding a, a sort of deeper belief in it more than a, oh, there's a scientific reason this is happening. And I find it fascinating because I'm a scientist, which is exactly what she says here, which is, listen, all of these tribal belief structures and these things that people do in these tribal belief structures, they think they give them supernatural power. It's really a physiological change they're going through. This is no doubt something very similar. So, you know, her game here is that she's going to go down and do these, whatever she assumes are going to be primitive tribal trials. 
it's going to alter her biochemistry in some way that the doctor will be able to observe using subdermal implants. I'm sure you uh, noticed. We're going to blow that up. That's going to be <laughs> the, the episode title here. And um, and and from that point forward, able to solve it scientifically. I, I think this is a consistent character trait. I think she was the right choice to do this. And I think Chakotay being the doubter is actually correct. Hmm. I got to disagree with you on it. But regardless, they find this um, this old parable of the king and the prince. Um, they run it by Tam and said, hey, we've got a precedent and we want to, you know, invoke that for your local religious government to accept an alien as a uh, spiritual adept to come in. And the council, which before the religious council that wanted nothing to do with this situation, just said, hey, sorry about your luck. She's dead. Uh, when presented with this little old fable, does a complete 180? Like, yeah, absolutely. Send this uh, alien down here. We're going to induct her into our most sacred ways and it'll be swell. And it's at that point that Voyager has a green light. Janeway and, and Chakotay and Tuvok have their little powwow on uh, how this is going to play out. And yes, the mind blowing, and I'm talking like blowing like your hands together on your forehead, just <laughs> not only do they have the technology of subdermal communicators, but this thing's like an all in one. Okay. Mm-hmm. The doctor puts mm-hmm. this thing in her arm that not only is a tracking device that has unlimited range through rock, the same rock that Voyager sensors can't penetrate. Not only can it send back real time biometric data, not only uh, is it, is it a, a communication device, but she can also just tap it willy nilly and it'll emergency transporter out of there. It is the key that solves or prevent probably 80% of the Voyager plots that we've experienced up to this point. This is, technology that we we joked about before but take whatever damage like replicators present to the writing room and i would say this little thing they just put in her arm is like 10 times that threat and the fact that they have realized it in this episode is unbelievable we have when i think we first touched on the topic of the subdermal communicator slash tracker slash whatever you want to call it the god pill the god pill we pointed out other Star Trek shows before this had that technology and had that as part of plot lines. I think there was an episode of the episode of TNG where they're the where Riker and Troy are doing the duck blind uh, as the Mentakins, I think. And they, they had subdermal communicators and that sort of thing. Like the show purposefully writes a hole for themselves uh, because TV writers in the 90s in particular, uh, shall we say, wanted for creativity. And a lot of the time, they didn't see a way to create tension in the scene, given all of this fantastic technology that the Federation has, uh, in, has canon uh, access to. I get it. I get it. And it's always jarring to us, though, when suddenly, because the plot now demands that this is possible, they introduce the idea, because you know, and I know, that there is going to be an episode, it probably won't even be long from now, where we're going to say to ourselves, why the actual shitting fuck do, does everyone not have the same subdermal emergency beam out uh, arm, you know, juice that Janeway had for when she decided to go do peyote for a few days? Or you just look right back to the shoot. I mean, it's you're, you're given a pretty strong hall pass on this thing and i wouldn't be making such a big deal out of it it's just it's frustrating it's frustrating because we live in 2018 where writers don't writers don't make these fucking mistakes anymore and we see this we see this and it's even not even all that uh forgivable in the time period because the other star trek shows managed to avoid this yeah it's just voyager couldn't seem to fucking get themselves out of it i'm not saying it's it was just them and tv in the era but as far as Star Trek goes, TNG avoided falling into these traps. DS9 avoided falling into these traps as much as it could. Um, it still had to deal with the idea of utopian civilizations with unlimited resources fighting wars, which is hard. But yeah, it, it sucks. And it's the 
gaping black holes that we keep falling into, you know, ass first as we continue to go through the show. I'm not giving it too much of a pass. They could have just as easily just let her keep her tricorder on her and scanning and not mating into a big deal. But, you know, they. Okay, so so she agrees to this. Tuvok tries to pass her off a phaser when she goes down. She's like, no, I don't need that. It's going to send off the rest right message, which, you know, normally when they meet with world leaders, they never refrain from bringing guns before. But this time, maybe she's, I don't know, learning a little bit more. We've established that uh, Voyager is willing to pack locks when they transport into the office of planet presidents to start demanding things. They have no problem with that. But. Janeway takes the pass on taking her her service nine down for her spiritual adventure. And uh, one of the other major uh, performance bright spots in this episode is the guest star that plays her spiritual guide. Do you watch Freaks I, and Geeks? Yes. You recognize her from that? No. God, That's, it's been a long time uh, you know, the, the main kid and then his like uh, army jacket sister. Mm-hmm. That's their mom. Oh, that's. That's great. Yeah, that's great. There's another uh, there's another, uh, shall we say, uh, major guest star that we see here in another scene. Um, yeah, we, we, we see uh, George Costanza's mom. That's who she was. Janeway encounters her guide who is cleverly and charismatically played by the, this lady is almost like a, a tr- sort of trickster, mm-hmm. uh, but not like a malefic one. And. You know, it, she, Janeway starts to get induced on this road for her spiritual journey. And the first place that she has to go is this waiting room with these three older people who are clearly, I don't want to say talking an allegory. They're they are not quite going that far. They're talking about the issue, but around what's happening. They're beating around the bush. Uh, beating around the bush, kind of being indirect. One of them is George Costanza's mom. And they set up something that's very clever, I think in the episode. And that is what Janeway goes through is not what anybody has to actually go through. Janeway goes through these trials. She gets bit by a snake with a toxin. She has to like do a bunch of painting. It's everything that she expected that she should have to do for a quote unquote tribal religious ceremony. You know, right down to the mind altering drugs and, and, and vision quest right but what gets suggested as the episode goes on as is that none of that was actually necessary the ritual is entirely based on what the person thinks that they have to go through to be able to take the leap of faith and so it's completely personalized based on the expectation of the person doing the ritual, not something prescribed in any kind of ancient tome. This is where a big chunk of my uh, failure to enjoy this episode came from. And I get, you know, when we're doing network TV, a lot of times you got to write scripts for the lowest common denominators out in the viewership. Janeway beams down and it's like, she instantly loses like six points off her wisdom. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're dealing with a real dumbed down Catherine Janeway. Who's got these blinders on. She starts giving all this needless exposition for the audience. Like, Oh, in this room, you know, I, I, I hypothesis, you know, my my hypothesis is that this is a, a waste of time room and that I need to move forward to this. And like all the basic, rookie spiritual initiate mistakes are being made here presumptions and she's just got this really i don't know this this annoying narration through the whole thing where it just everything that comes out of her mouth makes her look stupider and stupider you've got the spiritual guy just kind of hanging back mildly antagonizing her and like the most benevolent version of q i think you can come up with like oh is that yeah, what you think? i would say that a, a very benevolent q yeah okay well let's do that sure okay none of this matters by the way and you know she's being pretty transparent but it doesn't come off i don't I, the whole thing and again maybe it was just because they dumbed the script down so everybody at home was painfully aware of exactly what was going on here but She's going through hell down there. It's three days of her being awake and muscle fatigue. 
up on the ship, you got the doctor, you got Chakotay, and you got Tuvok having these little scenes throughout where they're, you know, observing Janeway's medical signal on this. They're seeing the hell she's putting herself through. And Chakotay is more and more like, look, we need to pull her out of there. She might be under the influence of drugs. She might be being held against her will and she doesn't understand it. You know, is any of this data really worth it? And it's like Tuvok is a person like, hey, you know, let's stick with Janeway because and he doesn't say it. But, you know, it's like, hey, I totally respect everything she does. You know, when she's not saying the Federation should fuck off or Starfleet should fuck off. Um, and they ultimately decide, well, let's leave her down there. And like you said, she goes through a couple different uh, trials and we end up at a scene where she has this is also a very budget friendly episode. I don't know if you noticed that there's a lot of. Uh, oh, yeah, they don't go very deep on any kind of effects here. But no, even the snake that ends up biting her, it's like this dune, you know, what's in the box? Pain. <laughs> there's a rattlesnake <laughs> in a wicker wicker box and. uh I like all that cheesiness, though, because first of all, Janeway's, uh, I guess, like purposeful naivety about what's going on and her like scientific way of trying to parse through it. Yes, she has to vocalize a lot of it because, you know, that it's still Star Trek and that's kind of their their house style. But I get what's being expressed here is that she doesn't know how else to process this. Right. And so. This is the mindset she's coming from, and that's how she's analyzing it. She's analyzing it like a scientist. And I think it's clever that when they finally double back around at the end of the episode, this is this is the conversation she ends up having with these the three wise men, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and all of the, the spiritual journey shit she goes on is stereotypical because that is what she's expecting. Right. Yes. Her the late racism reach- puts her through hell needlessly. <laughs> yes. She puts herself through hell because she's expecting a bunch of dumb, primitive, racist crap to happen. And so that's exactly what happens to her. And she has a bad time because that's what she thinks she has to do to become, quote unquote, purified so that she can make a bargain with these spirits. Right. So, yeah. So they tell her, hey, you know, you put your hand in this wicker box. There's a snake in there. Essentially, we're not going to show it to you because uh, we don't have a special effects budget. Basics to eight, all of that. <laughs> right and she puts her hand in this she gets stung she passes out and when she wakes up she's told she's ready to go through she thinks that the snake venom has is provided the catalyst to offset the chemistry of their body which is a pretty big assumption too right that that these aliens bodies are going to behave the same way as Kess's body would under this and that they could even use that as a baseline, whatever. But so she's got the venom in her. She thinks that's enough. Okay, we're good to go. She goes back up to the ship. The doctor's like, this is great data. All you need is, you know, uh, some sleep and a good meal and you should be good to go. He plugs it all into Kess, gives her the treatment and Kess starts to flatline. The doctor says the solution that they came up with should work. And there is no explanation for why it doesn't work. That scientifically, this arrangement he has put together absolutely should be the answer, and he has no rational explanation for why it isn't. Janeway takes that at face value and returns to the surface and has another conversation with her guide. And that's where the guide says, you know, I wasn't lying to you when I said that everything that you went through was pointless. It was pointless because it was unnecessary. You did it to yourself. And that's where the big reveal is that's what you intended to put yourself through. So that's what you ended up getting put through. And she elects to go have another conversation with the people she started with, which was these three people who are kind of talking around her, talking about her beating around the bush while she was having her little dialogue about how she was going to solve all of these little primitive, you know, tribal quests to prove herself worthy. And that's when they lay the science down and they say, we know exactly who you are. We know exactly the kind of person you are. And we're going to talk to you about your whole life story and why it is that you did what you did, because you're not as fucking smart as you think you are. And explain to you without telling you what this is really about. And that is that they want to emphasize to Catherine Janeway that there are things that her scientific mechanical uh, technological tools will not tell her about the situation. 
And if she is serious about doing whatever is necessary to save her stupid space elf, decided to go face first into space hell, then what she has to do is take that stupid space elf and go face first right back into it. And yes, it should kill her based on everything that they know about the space hell portal. But that's what they're telling her she needs to do. And she can either believe that and take the leap of faith or Kes can die. And that's her choice. I thought that was really cool. I thought that scene fucking sold the episode for me. Yeah, the the smug alien play, you know, it's a it's a time honored tradition in Star Trek where, you know, and again, to invoke the cue where, you know, you're not as smart as you think you are. And there are things out there that are bigger and badder and blah, 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 blah. One of the things that Janeway, for all of her running commentary on everything, doesn't bring up at this point is the words they're using like. uh biogenic field and exact conversations that they've been having on the ship. They're talking freely about like things that it would be impossible for them to know unless they were some sort of enlightened alien. Ex- you know, that that was an embodiment of the spirits in that room. And that's why they have this God's eye view of the entire situation, including conversations taking place in order i think that's i think it's to the episode's credit that they don't have her say that and throughout the rest of the episode she never acknowledges what they're doing uh directly um i and that's where i think i where we really diverge because i i give the episode so much more credit because i feel like there's more nuance built into it through the fact that she has this experience and she comes to that realization we see her at the end kind of quietly starting to try and cope with what she knows happened versus what everyone else is deciding to believe about what happened. And part of that is this conversation in this room and the more hack writers of Voyager would probably have her go. You can't possibly know that and have her like this, have this like for sure realization. Ha ha. Aha moment of you really are like hyper powerful. Some, you know, space wizards or, you know, God beings or whatever the fuck you are. Instead, it's revealed to her through the conversation and what they're saying to her that, you know, this is these are her choices. And it's implied through all of their specific knowledge of what's going on, that it's true without having to actually go as far as to ha- have it on sc- on screen in an explicit way. See, and to me, it did exactly the opposite. Uh, you see it there clear as day that these guys are are omniscient to you know a a certain degree she does not call it out she starts falling into this thing um you know it's proven to you at this point that there's not really a spiritual thing there it's just a different set of aliens with with more power at their disposal and janeway you know who is always defiant and science first and i will persevere through all costs on you know my way jump back to the thaw how she you know finally wound up um the space clown with a trick, but here, you know, she's beaten. And I think she comes off as someone who has been tortured. And by the end of it is just displaying Stockholm syndrome where she has been indoctrinated, broken down, and she doesn't know what to believe. And even when she's given the facts by the doctor, she seems disheartened and, uh, and just downtrodden. And I think it, it's not a good it's not a good look for Janeway. But it wouldn't you be perhaps confused and questioning if you lived your life by an ethos of science, which they call out mm-hmm. like they, they make a point of telling her that like the reason this is bothering you is because you take science's faith. They even use that phrasing. Yeah. No. And so she's left like having a crisis of faith in that she had an experience that science cannot explain. Yeah, because she's just been, like I said, she's just been indoctrinated into a cult. She has been up for three days straight and weird chemicals in her body and all this other stuff. Like if this was Janeway coming to this realization, not under duress, sure. But then you look back at like um, the Picard, you know, four lights episode, like even when shit's at its worst, like Picard sticks to his guns and he is as strong at his weakest point as he is at tip top shape. And he, you know, he clings to these morals And here. Janeway just gets so heavily abused that she falls victim to it. Uh, so I, I, I can see 
the direction you're coming from it. It's just the the setup and the presentation to me just had the the opposite of effect. I just don't call what happened to be victimization. I guess that's I don't think that she's being victimized. I think she's pretty clear headed about what's going on, especially when she goes back the second time, because at that point, she's been back up to the ship. She's been checked out by the doctor. She's not in any kind of distress whatsoever. And that's the point where she really has to come to terms with what's happening around her. She's told that she needs. It feels more like to me, it's a a scientist that is being forced to accept something that is a it doesn't have a scientific explanation and that's what's disturbing her. And that's what obviously brings her into conflict with Chakotay. I mean, and Chakotay, I want to go ahead and point out through this thing. This is a big part of my notes too. Chakotay has this sensor fetish through this whole episode. He's like, we should beam down and scan the cave. We should get guys in there with tricorders. Even by the end, he's like, Oh, there's the scientific data we needed. If only we would have been able to bring a tricorder. And it's like, dude, you were so against scanning the cocoon people of spider skull asteroid, like for you to do the 180. And again, you know, it's, it's him being portrayed out of context. Like whereas before he was, you know, he cost Harry Kim his life more or less because of the refusal to allow tricorder readings in sacred places. And here's a sacred place. And he wants to, you know, just get in their balls deep with, with scans. I mean that that specific moment was a little um I was I was I, I Stevie pointed it out it's like wait a second he just got to use his, his tricorder down there wasn't mm-hmm. that like the thing they weren't allowed to do and the thing he and, refused to do is violate other people's inferred beliefs and there he has direct you know do not do this because and whatever it's just strong but he was again and and I I will be the defender of this fucking point till the day I die he was doing that not out of a genuine respect of thinking that their spiritual beliefs were true. He was doing it as an uh, anthropologist. Chicote is a cultural anthropologist. He describes himself as one. And so he's like, I want to preserve what it is they do out of respect for that. This is their culture, not because I think there's an actual spiritual weight to it. Chicote is not a spiritual person. He was engaging in these rituals of his people out of respect for his father and desire to connect with him as a family thing. Not that he actually really fucking believed it. And he doesn't really fucking believe this either. He totally does doesn't believe in his father. I and mean, that's why he goes off and, and contacts his father's spirit for, you know, directions on how to handle basics two or basics one. He, it, the, what we're saying basically is that there's terrible inconsistencies in writing the character of Chicote, where you can make these strong arguments and I can make my strong arguments and neither of us are wrong. I mean, I, I'll cop to the fact that I think depending on the episode and depending on how charitable you want to be about how he's been characterized, you can come to one conclusion or the other. And I will say that more often than not, the show shows, uh, a distinct lack of sophistication such that my interpretation that I'm choosing to give to this episode may be overly generous, but I think that that interpretation fits what happens here so well that I want to believe it's true so hard that they intended to do all of these things. I need it. I need it to be true. Peter, I give me this, Mm-mm. please, please give me this. So, uh, and then another thing, let's go ahead and point out here <laughs> more often than not, there's a, yeah, the driving goal is either Neelix or now Kess, somebody laid up on the table and causing problems. Like, well, I mean, we had, uh, Paris in stuck in sick bay with his space crazies. I think Neelix was on death's bed not too long ago. It's usually Neelix on death's bed. So this is the first time I think we've really had Kess laid up on here. But, um, you know, the three wise men, as you want to call them in the room, are like, yeah, you got to go through and face this trial and, you know, roll the dice on your life if you want to try and save Kess. They never really point out that Kess being marked for death, like out of everybody in the crew, Kess is a pretty good pick on that since she's probably going to die in the next two years anyways. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But uh, they beam them all down and you got, uh, I think it's Tuvok and Chakotay or no, it's Chakotay, Neelix, and then Kess on a bio bed. 
Um, Janeway looks like a zombie at this point. She's completely drained of blood in the face and, and just looks like complete hell because she's gone through this planet's religious equivalent of a fraternity hell week where she's been sleep deprived and starved. And she grabs Kess and walks up towards the energy field. She's about to embark in the Stargate when uh, she gets tapped in the face by the force field. And Kess comes uh, back to life in her very arms. So the episode wraps back on Voyager as the doctor gives a long form technobabble explanation for why there's a very specific scientific explanation of how everything that happened in the episode led to that working correctly. It is relatively consistent. It's very quickly delivered, but the pattern of the scene is everything that happened in the order that it happened specifically allowed the re-energizing on the, on the, uh, the hell portal to function to not kill Janeway and to actually revive Kess. And in the scene, uh, Janeway is seen sort of like sitting there and listening while reflecting, quietly staring off into the distance. And eventually the doctor turns to her and says, do you have any problems with my analysis? And she says, no, it's a very scientific explanation of what happened. And then quietly gets up and leaves. And and this is credit to Robert Duncan McNeil. This is credit to Kate Mulgrew. And I'm, kind of go on a limb and credit to the writers that they don't have Janeway vocalize her obvious reflections and doubts and concerns and, and everything that she's thinking about in that scene, they allow the scene just to express it through her performance. And then it ends and there's no explanation. There's no stinger. There's no pat ending. It's just, she's left to deal with that. She, this has happened to her and she'll have to decide on her own if this is really scientific or is the convenience of all of these things happening in the sequence that they were arranged by these aliens, you know, on purpose. That's the part I think that's really missing in this and what really makes her come off feeling like she has been Stockholm syndrome to turn into a victim because it's like the doctor goes through, gives us explanation. And I think her reaction is like someone like, you mean those were my kidnappers after all? And, all the people we killed were, you know, really innocents and and not the evil invasion. Like, I think what this episode was missing was her beaming back down to the surface again. Now that she was not obligated to be there by Kessa's health to reconnect with um, her spirit guide and not, you know, connect all the dots firmly. But there just to be this like, was what I saw real? Was it this? Was it that? And the guy to ultimately like, you know, hey, ultimately you need to be the judge of what happened there. Was it science? Was it was it, you know, a higher power in the end? You showed a faith in something and your friend is back and you need to draw your own conclusions. Not this cold, uncertain. Weak, broken uh, form of Janeway that we're left with. Everything that you lo- hated about this episode, I liked because I didn't get any of that impression from it. It's not her broken. I don't think she was broken by the experience at all. I feel like your characterization of that is just false. She's like she's not. She is reflexive. Reflective. She's had an experience. It's difficult for her to explain, but she wasn't broken by it. She made an active choice to go ahead and lean in and, and take a leap of faith for the first time in her life, and it has her. Uh, off off kilter, but broken? No, she wasn't inducted into a cult. The, the I, everything that she was put through, she put herself through. No one put her through it. No one forced anything on her. And this was an experience that ultimately was one of her looking inward. And that's hard for anyone to do. And that is particularly hard for someone who obviously has no prior. Uh, investment or in a belief structure that goes beyond the real and the scientific. And as somebody that has gone through, like, you know, I don't want to get too personal on this, but I've been there in terms of having your, your, your ways you look at the world be questioned, not in this exact way, obviously aliens have not uh, forced me to go into any force fields, but, um, and it can, it's a moment of reflection as you try and figure out what you really believe and why. And it doesn't break you, 
but it's a very enlightening experience. I think my complaint is that this is going to be another opportunity for potential future uh, continuity that we'll never see realized. Of course. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing what the discussions on uh, the V'ger Please Trauma Support Group go on this. You know, do you think that the Janeway we're left at at the end is someone who has been enlightened or someone who has been left shell shocked? Throw up your comments, throw up your suggestions. Yeah, yeah, as much as uh, Peter and as I think a first time in a long time, Peter and I have been like really at loggerheads as to our opinions. I think the last time this happened was like the first of the Dean episode or something like that, or like the Space Spider Island. <laughs> like I like that and you hated it. And it's always the spiritual uh, episodes that I don't think. Yeah, I like the spiritual episodes a lot, and I can I I Peter, I'm somebody who. Uh, uh, willingly watches pure flex movies with my wife to make What's fun pure of them. Flicks? You got to tell people how bad that is. Okay. So, uh, there's a, a movie production company called pure flex, uh, spelled P uh, P U R E F L I X, uh, that makes some of the most infamously bad Christian movies, uh, such as God is not dead. Uh, God is not dead Two, Uh, this time is personal and God is not dead three infinity. God, and uh, Steve and I have watched like five of those movies because we enjoy like getting pretty hammered and then watching them and making fun of them while posting on Twitter or something about it. And so sp- a- analyzing a spiritual spirituality in movies in a critical way is something that I I enjoy in my free time. Man, that's the most depressing shit you'll ever hear. And uh so when we get to like spiritual story that I feel like is good, I really like it. I see it in a different way, maybe because of that, uh, you know, and I'm with the Catholic school for a billion years and all that. It's, it comes to the territory. Maybe you share uh, a kindled PTSD with these characters. <laughs> <laughs> you've both, you've both been abused by religion and that you find come out. Hey man, as, as a Catholic uh, and abuse, <laughs> So, whoa, that's spicy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so well, coming up, this is a weird one uh, because normally we save the two parters for season ends, but we're coming up on season three, episode eight, Futures End Part One. We see Chakotay wearing a white blazer, and in front of him is uh, Janeway also wearing a white outfit. They look like a couple of Coke dealers. Chakotay's hair is brushed forward. He's got a blue. These guys look Miami Vice. They're there for a drug deal. Oh, yeah. And when a time ship is thrown into the 20th century with Voyager, the crew finds a company in 1996 that has benefited from future technology. This sounds awful. We are going to the 90s, Peter, and we're taking Voyager with us. These are two of my favorite episodes of the show. Uh, That is not because they're good. They are uh, hilarious. I cannot wait. I have been, this is, this is one of those, those, uh, those markers on the journey around the track of Voyager Mm -hmm. that I've had my sights set on from the beginning. They're up there with false prophets. And and you've clarified too, that this is not good excitement. This is sadistic excitement. I'm, I'm not, I am not, I don't want to, I don't want to confuse you like the last time. Right. And I, let me Uh, tell you for the record, I cannot think about false prophets without becoming unreasonably angry. That post I threw up on the trauma support group about like <laughs> the fact they didn't even send a fucking shuttlecraft or a probe through there to like, nope. hey, all the other f- rickety ass reasons we send shuttlecraft out like I can't take it, Joe. I, I, I need to have like, what is it? It's spotless mind of the eternal sunshine, whatever. <laughs> I need to be men in black mind blinked <laughs> to forgetful mind false prophets out of my brain. Well, this won't, I don't think, infuriate you, but uh, it's its a zany adventure that Voyager's going to go on on this two-parter. Do they try and sell cocaine, at least? Because, I mean, they really dress the part here in this picture. <sighs> Dude, you have no idea how 90s shit's about to get in this. Oh, so good. And hopefully make up for uh, the fact that we, we front-loaded a few jokes on this and then spent like 45 minutes kvetching about our opinions about spirituality expressed in Star Trek. Uh, I hope it was the least interesting for everybody. I enjoyed having this conversation. Uh, and if you like this kind of of uh, deep, 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 deep nerd cuts, 
make sure to join us later this month for our mess hall live stream. We're going to be uh, coming to you uh, via Facebook live stream. We decided to do that on January 28th, which is relatively close to when we, our first year anniversary starting the show. Yeah. So if this is the kind of content you like, that will be more of that uh, as Peter and I, well, we just like talking about Star Trek, so we'll take any fucking opportunity we can to do it. Absolutely. All right, until next time, this has been Feature Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. Peace. Peace.